0: Welcome to Rationalish ladies and gentlemen. I'm here with the bewitching Eddie Matthews and I'm your co-host Morgan Wack. Actually Eddie I should say Dr. Eddie Matthews because one of the big uh, reasons we've been delayed for a couple weeks is because this young man over here has become Dr. Matthews from the University of Swansea.
1: Swansea University.
0: <laughs> Get so it, he's right. already correcting people look at him he's got it <laughs> <laughs> he's ready to go.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was a test to see if I had really <laughs> earned my. Yeah, that was, you've Turns just out now
0: it, earned it now, so that's good. <laughs> I just now passed.
1: Yeah, we're uh, recording this on Sunday, so this past Thursday, I had what's called a Viva. Uh, which I realize is a, that's a UK term. No one in America knows what that is. I don't know
0: that is even. So. <laughs>
1: it's a dissertation defense. That's what, okay. I don't know why they picked that word. I, maybe it's a Latin term. I don't know. So the equivalent here would be called a dissertation defense. And um, yeah, basically the way it worked was that um, you have an external examiner that the university hires outside of the university, um, and they read all your work, which for me, uh, entailed a 60,000 word novel and a 20,000 word kind of like exegesis. So just talking about your influences and the drafting process and uh, what you feel like your book contributes to the, the wider field. Um, and then they had an internal examiner, so someone, uh, one of the faculty members on staff at Swansea uh, do the same thing and then they commune and write up a report and uh, prepare and then prepare a list of questions to ask me. Which they do over the course of an hour. And um yeah, over that hour I just give more context for what I talked about in the exegesis or the essay. Um, and then hopefully uh answer any kind of like just questions they had about the plot or you know, other kind of contextual information about the research I did for it. And yeah, I answer the questions to their satisfaction. What well, was really just um, nice about the result was that I passed and typically like the normal uh, most common way that people pass is with three months of corrections and so what that means you don't act they don't actually give you three months of work of corrections because that would be insane but basically there's kind of a minimal amount of content corrections that they want you to make either to the essay or to usually for the essay unless you really kind of like screwed up you know thematically or you know plot wise in your book that they want you to fix Um, but it's usually kind of minimal correctness they want you to make content wise Um, and then they give you three months to to make those changes and then get back to them so it was super nice, or you know if there's substantial ones, you can still pass but like give you six months and you have to overhaul like a certain part of it and incorporate whatever um but yeah, like I passed with no corrections, and that was really cool because it means that I don't have to like get back into that i guess mindset and that
0: frame you, you know never have to read a book again
1: I never ever have to read a book <laughs> again. That's why I did this um other than some typos, I guess there's. There's some typos that snuck in there that I got to uh, fix,
0: but yeah. there's always some yeah. typos. But no, congrats um, to everybody at the Rationalist family—we're very, very proud of you. And uh, <laughs> thanks. I know you're on your way to doing great things.
1: <laughs> I got a a case of wine. I think it's called a case, twelve bottles from
0: <laughs> nice.
1: my brother Sandy, um, as a graduation present, and it's really good stuff. It's a Grenache blend. Wow. He made it himself with grapes from to
0: Sandy. Nice Santa Barbara out.
1: County and Paso. Mm-hmm. So that's good stuff. Um, so thank you, Sandy. And also he's selling it. Um, usually it's $14, but for rationalist listeners, it's 10.
0: Hey, how much is he paying us for this ad? Cause uh, I haven't seen my, my share of this
1: <laughs> full disclosure. <laughs> He paid me five hundred dollars for this ad space. Mm. Uh, so I'll Venmo you later.
0: Our usual, below our usual amount. It's all right, family discount. We we usually it was a family discount. Seven fifty, so mm. fair enough. Mm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so no, Sandy, obviously I'm that's sure
0: I'll have to come. Sandy's down, putting
1: right? his money in a much much better use.
0: <laughs> no, I've, I'm uh, I'm pulling your chain. We'll have to we'll give Sandy a shout out. We'll have to have him on sometime. I haven't, I haven't heard from Sandy in a while, but we'll.
1: Uh, yeah, well, he's on. Uh he's on an episode earlier, debrief episode, talking about That's meeting right. Sam Beam. Yeah, yeah. Which was really cool. Um, so yeah, no, it was um I think I went in with a nice kind of state of mind. Like I wasn't too nervous and I was prepared and um and really well. I should also say that the examiners were incredibly good kind interested attuned people they weren't trying to ask gotcha questions they didn't they weren't full of themselves they didn't like i don't know and that could be just to our discipline of creative writing is not like it's not a theory heavy discipline they're not trying to pick apart your like methodology because there is no methodology (laughs) so (laughs) that made i think the process go smoothly as well um so that was really nice um but I mean, you just also just defended your thesis, right? For your master's, your second well, master's, right? Or can you tell us feel how like that? I you went? don't
0: get to celebrate a second master's because it's incredibly <laughs> unhelpful in terms of okay. everything. I'd rather well, talk about. It's, it's not. It's
1: not. It's not unhelpful. It's not unhelpful because that is like one of the pit stops on the NASCAR race that is your PhD, right?
0: There's just there's a lot of laps. This is one of them, which is right. great, But I appreciate it. I'd rather talk about the the more important thing that happened recently was Liverpool won the title in the English Premier League. So if we're gonna celebrate, <laughs> right. on my side, <laughs> well, definitely get ahead.
1: well yeah. we can celebrate two things. But we didn't really talk about like you you had to defend a paper that you wrote for that, right?
0: How did yeah. that go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Um, I think probably a bit different than your defense. It was more about kind of methodology, how to get it published in a specific paper, working on kind of expanding the theoretical side. Um, It was really helpful. I didn't expect it to go on for as long as it did. I was kind of told beforehand, they're like, oh, it's just kind of you show up and we talk about your paper. And it was like not like that at all. It was like very much a defense. Which I did, so <laughs> see,
1: see, when I talked to my supervisor before the dissertation defense, he told me what to expect and then gave me some questions to think about. And it was exactly what he said. Oh, that's great. Not not like the questions that he gave me to think about were the ones they asked, but like the tone and mm-hmm. just the vibe of the call was exactly what he expect but so for you someone gave you bad information
0: well i think it was okay because i wouldn't have had the answers for the like really difficult questions anyway so it's not it would have just stressed me out to you know over preparing sure so i went into it thinking like all right i'm almost done and then it was like here we come lots of information you know to change a lot of stuff which is great and it'll be a much better paper in the long run but yeah definitely was expecting a different tone in the <laughs> than what actually happened but see no, i would have
1: yeah I mean a more kind of like type A person I think would have been freaked out by that experience.
0: Did I mention that Liverpool won the title so, <laughs> oh <laughs>
1: so do you get a do you get like a paper degree for your masters too, or do they just wait and then confer a doctorate on you after
0: It's a good question. I have no idea. I feel like if I wanted a piece of paper, I could probably send somebody something and request one. Sure. I didn't get one, but I'm sure you could do that. It were. might be
1: confusing for you to have like your three degrees in the wall and then like the three is actually four because you if you had like two masters.
0: If I ever have an office and I'm an actual professor I'm gonna I have a bunch of certificates in, in a lot of places in Africa they just give you certificates for random things which is one of my favorite things about it I have all these yeah. certificates that are like you know you rode the longest ride on this thing and it's the best yeah. if I ever have an office I'm, it's gonna be all those things no degrees which is like highest bungee jump <laughs> skydiving sky certificate you know
1: yeah I have a sneaking suspicion that like that's really actually the value of a Harvard education isn't actually the day-to-day like education that you get it's like the piece of paper at the end that says Harvard that like just impresses people like that's my sneaking suspicion of the Ivy League schools and unless you're like a real uh I don't know like high level scientist like Sandy has a friend who's at Yale right now and he's studying Lyme disease and he's like working in the lab and he's you know. Yeah. That's that's a real thing. Like Yale probably is one of the best in the country for that kind of thing. But if you're like, I don't know, like a philosophy student, I don't
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> We're just ripping on Ivy League philosophers, take like that.
1: I think no, I think I just I I don't know. I maybe maybe this is just jealousy of like the the like worn crandles of the world who <laughs> got into these schools, but It just seems like there's a disproportionate amount of people who run this country or, you know, are in positions of power that come from these like six institutions.
0: Of course. I mean, it's a framing and signaling mechanism, right? That's the primary thing. And a lot of the like researchers and professors that actually work at these institutions spend more time on research. That's why they're there. That's why they're paid. So you probably have, and that's the sell of a lot of liberal arts institutions is like, Oh, these people aren't focused on research. They're literally here to teach. And I think some of that is very true um, and I think uh, there are some places that balance it better than others but yeah there's there's certainly something to that but it's a, it's an important piece of paper and <laughs> it could take you places yeah like you say
1: w- Warren Crandall was our valedictorian for for unless oh, uh, you know do you think people don't know context? Who Crandall
0: is <laughs> <laughs> Warren Crandall yeah. people know who Warren Crandall is
1: <laughs> yeah oh man um uh yeah did we want to talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter
0: Absolutely. So we're going to have a longer episode on this. We recorded a longish episode right as everything sort of started up. And I think we had planned to release it. We decided against it because it was more, I think it was, you know, a lot of what, if you've been, you know, have ears and have any sort of social media account, a lot of kind of repetition. On a, what everyone's saying, obviously, we've been overlooking, you know, myself included, lots of things for a very long time, and there's many, many issues that are fundamental to, you know, the American ideal and the American existence of many African Americans um, that we haven't discussed enough on this show, certainly, and that we just haven't discussed in wider society as much. Um, and so we're going to have a longer episode on that, in hopefully this week, actually, um, with one of my friends who's going to come on. Um, Tyler Green and so we've decided I think that it's better to kind of come more prepared rather than just kind of having an emotional reaction actually coming with concrete you know not solutions but ways forward that would be more helpful to our listeners and to us so I don't know if you want to say anything else on that before we have our full episode.
1: Yeah no I think that was well put. Um, We were gonna do an episode on Hong Kong that day and then you know I think you rightly were just like It's hard for me to think about anything else right now other than what's going on with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, just, um, I think just the shock that was um, what happened to George Floyd was still just, like, reverberating very much in the air. Um, Because this maybe would have been about three weeks ago that we recorded that, um, maybe a month ago. So...
0: Yeah, and I like to think that it hopefully by releasing it slightly later, people will be, you know, maybe the the fervor that has captured America, which has been, you know, very heartening, um, will somewhat have faded, unfortunately, and maybe our podcast will be better time to kind of pick up the momentum a bit than it would have been kind of coming on the coattails of a lot of other information. So we can talk about that. then. (laughs) But yeah, we're happy to sure, open to questions sure. as well. If anyone wants to come on and, and chat with us or be on that podcast, please let us know. Absolutely. Should we, should we pick everybody uh-huh. up with, uh, in these difficult times? We talk about something much more uh, fun in the Panama Papers and global uh, tax havens <laughs> and financial crises. <laughs> we're here to remind you of something else terrible. Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a pick I me up. Just...
1: I think there's so many, like, obviously with the coronavirus just makes it so much worse because every seemingly every person on the planet, this has impacted their life, you know? So it's made them care less about things that happen far away with people that they don't know that have no seeming connection with their lives. And so it's just demoralizing because people who are really powerful who more or less get away with doing things like this, there's no repercussions because we're so just focused in on our getting through our daily day day to day existence right now and reforming major things that need reform like uh uh you know police brutality that who in the world has the space in their heart or mind for trying to you know petition congress for greater crackdowns on tax havens
0: so this is a good start because i want to i want to talk about a bit about why you think it really does seem to just you know Slide in and slide out these these issues. It seems like every month there's some sort of financial scandal about Tax dodging offshore accounts. Obviously we can talk about the Panama Papers specifically uh, Which we're bringing up as kind of a reminder that this actually did happen. Yes, and to kind of examine what the fallout has been If there has been any and to discuss kind of financial securities and tax havens more generally um, But yeah, I so should we give a quick rundown of what the Panama Papers are or Take it away. Okay, well, I'm not going to go too much detail because I feel like most of our listeners, very well educated people, uh, probably have a decent understanding of, of what they are, but I'll talk about the basics. So, the Panama Papers were uh, a leaked set of documents, the largest leak in, in financial history, and, and some people say the largest just leak in general in history. It was a, 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 around 11 and a half million documents um, that detail kind of financial information about. A company called Mosac Fonseca that was based in Panama, hence the name, and they show that this company had created over two hundred thousand shell operations, shell corporations to house financial services and money of individuals, companies, um, you know, very famous individuals. I think thirteen current or former heads of state. Politicians in over eighty countries, Um, and I think there was there's far fewer countries that were not implicated than there are that were. And this is just you know one company's leaks. It wasn't, you know, every offshore account or anything like that. Um, And even this, you know, it just basically shed a light on what was actually going on in in the lives of the rich and where money that is in the hands of the very wealthy actually goes. Um, And so it, it was presented as a very kind of ground shattering event that was positioned to help inspire a recreation or a re politicization of international tax law, international financial laws. Um, and so we can talk about whether that's actually happened or what has and hasn't happened and what we should do going forward. But that that's the basic gist. It was leaked to a German, um, criminal investigation group by an unknown still unknown source who feared for his life and I think rightfully so there have been quite a few journalists involved in this case that have been murdered um, which I guess unsurprising given how many you know important people there are in the case um, or involved with Mosek like Fonseca and they're they basically leaked them inf- or you know brought in the international consortium international uh, investigative journalists who then you know went through meticulously through a number of files to prove you know ensure their veracity, um, then slowly started to leak documents and then brought in a lot of of crowdsourced people from outside to help read because you know eleven million documents you can't just go through it with ten people. so they're still being gone through not not all the documents have been you know opened or even read, but uh, it has had a, you know at least a large ripple in terms of global finance since 2016 when they were leaked.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. Um, CNN reported that uh, a 2015 audit found that Mossack Fonseca knew the identities of the real owners of just 204 of 14,086 companies that had incorporated in Seychelles, an Indian Ocean archipelago often described as a tax haven. 200 out of 14,000, like, um, that it knew the real owners were so. it's hard (laughs) I think for this law firm to like stand up to the scrutiny when they don't necessarily know, you know, because they contend that they didn't know that money laundering or racketeering was going on under their watch and that they were, you know, because it is legal technically to have offshore accounts. Um, What is not legal is to use those essentially to just, um, obscure the origin of the money.
0: Of course, um, yeah. I mean, using
1: another person's identity to do that.
0: The thing, I mean, the real, I think the thing that shocked everyone was not that people were hiding money, was that really this was the first time people realized how much of this was legal. How easy and how rampant tax evasion and money laundering and these sorts of things are not just in the US, not just in developing countries, but pretty much throughout the entire world. And that's no exaggeration. Um, There have been people implicated in this specific scandal from I think over a hundred countries. And that's, you know, it's insane.
1: Well, the irony is that um, according to The Guardian, um, they quote David Cameron as saying, the corrupt criminals and money launderers take advantage of anonymous company structures. Um, and that you know the, the UK was gonna try to crack down on this. And then earlier in that same article, it talked about how, uh, this is quoting from the article, an offshore investment fund run by the father of British Prime Minister David Cameron <laughs> avoided ever having to pay tax in Britain by hiring small, a small army of Bahamas residents to sign its paperwork so yeah I mean there's a lot of irony kind of
0: of course of course um and we all know David Cameron was arrested and put in jail immediately right yeah (laughs) of
1: course David (laughs) Cameron's pops
0: (laughs) Uh, Um, yes there's this my favorite statistic is not actually from the panel papers but it's from the um, United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime and there can you guess what their estimated uh, their best guess of what the amount of money laundered each year in us dollars is
1: uh two trillion
0: that's exactly right this is an incredibly good guess are you serious Two trillion. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm a genius you are look at you you should i feel like they, they might be hiring they could go that with, is you know, an
1: insane amount of money
0: your doctor skills coming in like that huh that's an insane amount of money. Yeah. It's um, about, it could be up to 5% of GDP per year for the entire world is being that's, taken away and put in tax savings. And, and that's the scary part is they literally don't know. The bounds on that guess are like, they're like, well, it could be, you know, 10 trillion. We literally have no idea because these things are so opaque.
1: Yeah. It makes me think of that um, scene in, uh, maybe I'm undermining my credibility here, but Screw it.
0: Dude, you're already a document. Uh, what other credibility do you mean?
1: <laughs> In Narcos Mexico season two, when Miguel Ángel Felix Gallardo is like negotiating with um, the like, soon to be president, I believe. And he's saying, like, oh, okay, like you don't need my help. I'll just take all of my money out of Mexico and like collapse the economy. It's yeah, like, I mean,
0: oh man. It's crazy. It seems to like think a about. joke, but in you know, a lot of, you know, money, you know, a billion dollars leaving the U.S., which is probably much more than that, you know, even $50 billion leaving the U.S., yeah, it's a dent, and it would hurt the economy, but when that much money leaves, you know, countries like South Africa, which is a uh, mid-income country, their former president was, um, you know, caught up in this, Jacob Jacob Zuma, countries like, um, like the Seychelles, you mentioned earlier, countries like Equatorial Guinea, where, you know, it literally is like, 25% 25% of GDP that's being mm. taken out of the country and not paid in taxes. Mm. Um, and you know who um, man I'm spacing out his name. Yams is going to be so mad at me. Um, comedian from the UK. David. Oh, man, Just continue. I have to look this up because
1: <laughs> uh, Okay. Um, so yeah. Essentially like the the two co-founders um of the law firm, most Fonseca, like to my knowledge were indicted and charged. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, everything wasn't necessarily above board, but I think they're still trying to um, unpack just how many people are implicated. Like you said, um, I think part of the reason that this is, gone so below the radar is for one, the sheer immensity of data that has to be filtered through. And also just, I think this is why technicality is such a good um, smoke screen is because if you can just inundate uh, whatever you're doing, with enough jargon and documentation and And technical, like, it, 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 yeah.
0: They're still ongoing and who's still talking about the Panama Papers? Yeah, exactly. Besides upstart podcasts like ours, of course. Yeah,
1: (laughs) so all of that data, like it just helps obscure what is actually going on, which is kind of a simple thing. Rich people don't wanna pay taxes in their home countries. So they use a law firm in a small country that's willing to set up shell companies um, to uh, essentially allow the documents of all that money to be uh, legitimized.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of scary things about this. I think we could talk about whistleblowers, if you want. We can talk about you know the illegal aspects you know there was money tied to Putin, money tied to terrorist groups, you know everything terrible you can think of, which is unsurprising, given that there were seemingly you know no standards for who could open a shell company they didn 't even know who was opening what. Um, but I think this has only gotten you know, worse as things like Bitcoin and you know much more difficult systems for tracking money have come about a lot of the policies that have been proposed to cut back on this are either you know very you know seemingly insane because they would require so much cooperation that in the world today just doesn't seem achievable in any way which is depressing um or they would require you know complete overhauls of domestic systems and leave you at a disadvantage i mean the fear is like in the uk with brexit that if you have something like this happen your richest people like you said in, in season two of narcos like they'll just leave right <laughs> they'll head off somewhere where the tax is, you know. yeah
1: yeah well, yeah. yeah and especially for the uk yeah because london's the banking capital of the world
0: yeah right yeah so I mean, there's like still, i think yeah, they have just, over
1: yeah yeah they have over 40 billionaires that live in london so um oh I I think you're a little uh, quick to the draw, there, Morgan, to you know defame Putin in this sorry. podcast because sorry, sorry. according to CNN, according to CNN, the Kremlin has dismissed the allegations as quote <laughs> a series of fibs,
0: my bad. aimed
1: at discrediting sorry, Putin sorry. ahead of elections.
0: We all know that that incredibly credible you know organization that they run over there, so. There wouldn't be one to to tout fibs if it weren't the case.
1: <laughs> yeah, you my friend are a victim of disinformation.
0: <laughs> that's that's almost definitely the the case. I, I'm sorry I misspoke. So uh, the thing I wanted to say earlier is so this is I've always remembered this tidbit. It was it was from David Mitchell is the comedian I was thinking of. Oh yeah. terrific comedian. But he was talking about how he had he had kind of a a moment where he got a little rich, basically, was the way he described it. And immediately there were people kind of sending him emails about how he wouldn't have to pay taxes and all he had to do was donate a specific percent. And he, he kind of was flabbergasted at how much more work it was to just pay his taxes than it was to make more money by following these totally legal right. channels for hiding the money. So you know, he was saying right. you, it should never require more work to pay your taxes and to do the right thing than to take the easy way out. Um, and in that moment, he realized how screwed up the financial systems were. Um, because, you know, the, the governments, they don't have the funding because they're not making money themselves off these issues. You know, individual law firms like Mossack Fonseca are taking some off the top. And when you can do that, you're much more incentivized to find people with money to have them invest in your corporation or to pull them in your offshore accounts. Um, yeah. And one of the totally. other major things we can talk about is how in a lot of Countries, a lot of developed countries, especially with developed financial systems, the way that democratic politics works is you essentially, in a lot of places, create tax systems that favor your electoral group. Right? This happens in the U.S. Yeah. All the, time. the U.S. tax system is incredibly convoluted. It is insane. There's so many loopholes, things you can get tax credits on, things that are exempt, that it basically just incentivizes the creation of middlemen that allow you to navigate this in ways that make you the most money and avoid, you know, giving back to society in the form of tax. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yeah. We're pro. Cause it's, cause it's- <laughs> we're pro Mossack Fonseca. I don't know if anyone yeah. got that.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, how often have I stipulated that? that the reason you know our um our debt as a country is so high is because poor people on welfare how often do i tell you that
0: as soon as this podcast makes our first uh, mill we're gonna be singing a different tune i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah you get those book royalties <laughs> yeah so okay well it's... you want to talk about potential like we talked you talked about this you opened with this so let's get into it a little bit why do you think it just seems to, you know, go in one ear out the other for citizens. And why don't you think, yeah, why don't you think citizens in democracy specifically have been able to hold governments accountable for this sort of thing? And I, I guess that's really my only question because in, in non-democracies, it's not that surprising that, you know, autocratic leaders save money for themselves. That it, it doesn't seem like a shock to anybody, but why in democracies has it been such a big challenge?
1: I mean, I guess it's hard not to get a little partisan right now, but I feel like there's one party in this country that is very... um,
0: Green party? (laughs) Yeah.
1: That uh, is very amenable to allowing uh, the richest Americans not to get taxed what they should um, and not wanting to reform tax law to kind of um, enforce actually an elevated tax rate, the more that you make. So I think that's a big hindrance to any kind of progress being made on this. Um, Obviously that's not just a conservative issue. You've got, this isn't exactly the same, but you've got like, you know, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden serving on a board in Ukraine and getting 500 grand a year, you know? So there's like, um it's not to say that it's all consolidated in one party but as it comes to american tax law it's very clear which party is on the side of the rich and powerful i would do do you not agree
0: no i agree i think for me and you know you can argue against this or say it's a combination of these factors i think the it's actually surprising to me because if you if you came to me with an issue and you said look This is only going to affect a select few, like incredibly rich people that are literally like frauding the American public by avoiding taxes. You would think that they would have mass citizen support. Support like that's what populism is. Like people don't like billionaires. They don't. They don't like people who evade taxes. They don't like people who lie. Some
1: people like billionaires. Fair
0: enough. I think the vast majority. Even I am a little optimistic that at least fifty percent of the country, if it was a direct referendum on whether these should be legal or illegal, I think it would overwhelmingly side on the fact that, you know, people should pay their taxes, or at least should be held accountable for what they owe to the country. Sure. I think that what you were getting at before with the complexity of the issue, and just how these legalities have come into play, I think, you know, actually impacting this with law, actually closing up these loopholes in a way that wouldn't just create more loopholes would require like such a massive overhaul of the tax system. And this is just about the US, right? Every country has their own specific tax regulations. And that's, you know, not to say that even if you did that in the US, there's still other countries that will, you know, the Cayman Islands are gonna change their tax laws so that you can still hold things legally there. That's so every time there's a law change in the US or the UK or any of these big financial centers, there's changes in laws in these small countries that enable you know, some sort of loophole to come into existence. So you not only have to plug up your own loopholes, you have to make it so airtight that the you know tiniest crevice of international law can't you know come into play. Um, and I Doesn't, think that,
1: yeah, I can't I think, ever see that happening.
0: Exactly. And then even then, like even if you had mass support, it would have to be issue number one. I think at in the end, when people talk it through they come to the conclusion that it's just not worth their effort. Like like you said earlier, like we have other things away about. We have systemic racism. We have, you know, militarization of the police. We have a pandemic going on. We have somebody trying to turn the country into an autocracy. Like there are bigger issues and even I'll admit that, but it's, it's depressing that an issue can just be so complex. Even if so many people in a democracy agree that it's wrong, it's just, there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that is almost more depressing than issues where, people are on the other side and you might disagree with them like this issue is like pretty much everybody agrees but we still can't do anything about it um and that to me is is one of the things that makes this such a kind of sad story so far yeah actually been a lot of indictments i think they, they said that 1.2 billion dollars have been returned to countries in tax in the form of tax um from the panama papers different countries like 80 at least 80 um politicians have been indicted you know, heads of state have stepped down. It hasn't been nothing. There have been impacts. Uh, lots of people have pledged, lots of governments have pledged to kind of reduce the secrecy involved in their um, financial systems, even though uh, Transparency International has shown that only about half the countries that pledged have actually done so, so far. I and mean, it's so almost half a decade later, but I, there have been improvements, but I just think the n- amount there's always so, you know, there's money on the other side that's so vast that unless you have some massive overhaul, the money's going to find a way to create a new loophole. Yeah. The game of Whack-A-Mole where the moles are billionaires, and we have one hammer, and the game stretches out over the entire globe. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that the more that I think about, like, it seems like there's going to be two things that our grandchildren are going to be like, how the hell did you guys think this was normal? And you're be like, oh, it was, it was the, it was the 2020s. What do you want from it? You know, it was the 2010s. Probably one will be like racial injustice. And then the other, I think will be in, income inequality where like, I think the stuff that Bernie Sanders is talking about right now, in 20 years will feel like the most obvious thing in the world.
0: I hope you're right. I really, really hope so.
1: And I think that, um, like, I think our, our grandkids will think it's crazy that we thought it was okay and normal for there to be one individual who's worth over a hundred billion dollars now. Jeff Bezos, I believe is worth over a hundred billion. So it's like, uh, and and that his company pays zero dollars in taxes. They're like, how did you guys think this was okay? And I would be like,
0: well, you know,
1: it was complicated. There's uh, this guy named Mitch McConnell, and he was,
0: you know, uh, <laughs> you nail old me. That was old me, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's impression. talk
0: about Apple and
1: and Ireland.
0: Okay, great. I didn't have this written down, but I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, th- we've just been talking about individuals. Like this is, and even like legal. You know, it's not tax evasion technically when it's legal, but you know, tax avoidance by companies has become a major issue and political issue. I think this is probably more likely to have kind of cooperative support from multiple countries. But I don't know, I'd like to hear your, your take.
1: So basically, um, according to Forbes, uh, Ireland has a 12.5% corporate tax rate which they note is already one of the lowest in the world, but Apple pays 0.005%. <laughs> I guess that's, that's on the lowest end. So I guess they have like multiple rates, but that's what they quoted as the, at the lowest end, which is obviously I would think problematic. Uh, so, it is able to be done because they have two subsidiaries, Apple Sales International and Apple Operations Europe, which are based in Ireland. And those, um, you know, it, it quotes as, uh quoting Forbes, profits from Apple purchases made in Europe were legally transferred to these subsidiaries, meaning taxes were paid in Ireland at the low rate instead of to the country in which the iPhones, MacBooks, iPads, etc. sales were bought. And so, um The EU is basically saying that uh, Ireland's favoritism has allowed them to save 14 billion in taxes over uh, the course of 11 years, from 2003 to 2014. Um, And then the Irish government's pushing back, right? So the Irish government's on the side of Apple wanting to say, um, you know, there were no laws being broken. There There was nothing like this was an agreement between the irish government and apple there's nothing ever we're all above board here and basically the the eu commission is saying um that ireland's not like misunderstanding how these subsidiaries work and isn't like back when they first made the sweetheart deal uh did not understand how it would be like maximized you know um and so they're just they're still in litigation over this, like it's ongoing um, even though they the EU determined that they would have to pay they're like appealing that right now
0: yeah, I mean that's the EU has been a lot more proactive at kind of litigating these issues doesn't mean that they are not also allowing for a lot of pl- loopholes as you just discussed, but they have also pursued big companies in a way that the US and a lot of other countries haven't, which is a good sign and, and hopefully a template for the rest of the world going forward. I wanted to point out one specific case that's similar. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but in the recent kind of bailout that happened during, during the pandemic, one of the, a lot of companies, well, not a lot, but a few companies that were bailed out are kind of cruise ships and other organizations that actually fly the flag of different countries to avoid taxes. So a lot of U.S. cruise ships will fly a Panamanian flag or a flag from Haiti or the Dominican Republic so that they pay those taxes and are able to, you know, sail under less stringent environmental protections, those sorts of things. And these companies were bailed out by the U.S., even though they fly the flag of a different country because they originate in the U.S., and the US essentially still bailed them out. A lot of other countries, I think Iceland, Sweden, the UK, even uh, Switzerland have basically said, no, if you are based in another territory, you are ineligible for bailouts. I don't care you know, what the case is in your specific instance. I don't care if you're insolvent. That's, you've been, you know, you've basically given up your company citizenship. You're not gonna be able to receive funds. The fact that the U.S. is on the other side of this issue is insane to me. (laughs) That one is like, I just can't, I can't fathom. I just don't, I don't understand. I mean, if, if Citizens United said that corporations, you know, are to be treated like people, like how they should get, they are getting better treatment than people. That's not even, it's, uh, it's insane to me. That's one of the most disheartening cases I've heard in a long time.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Mitch McConnell thinks institutions are people.
0: He thinks they're better than people, I think. (laughs) I don't think he thinks they are people.
1: He thinks that institutions giving money is a form of an individual free speech. So that's, that's so nuts that I don't even know. Like, it's so crazy that that is the case in the country right now. That like, and it's, yeah. So again, all this stuff, like people get away with it because we're not paying attention and because we have so much other shit to deal with.
0: And because it's complicated and you know, rich people are able to, there's enough rich people on the other side who really care about their money that even right. sort of carrying a little bit is not nearly enough to you know, take that financial institution down. And it's depressing. I, so one of the, the policies that's been pitched, which is kind of seen as a, a pipe dream, by some and other people think it's much needed is essentially to de-anonymatize all money in the whole world basically if you make a dollar it's on the financial record that you made that dollar so sort of like if in the u.s i believe most at least in california uh, i think it's not every state but it might be every state essentially if you're a public employee your salary is public it's available to anyone if you look up anyone from my university that's paid there you can find their salary my parents who are teachers everyone like that and so the the policy proposal is literally to do that for everyone if you make any money it's tied to you and we know about it and you know people have argued on the other side obviously this would make them you know at risk to extortion there's all these arguments i actually haven't heard a very good argument like that's to me not a great argument if you're you're making so much extra money that you when it came out you would be like at risk of kidnapping. That's you've probably got too much money, in my opinion. Like that's that's an insane concern to come up as your defense. I mean there are other issues obviously and I think and you know there's a lot of parallels between this issue and and kind of the creep of security provisions that take away rights to facial recognition, which we haven't done an episode on, which I'd love to. um, But I'm more on the side of some drastic policy needed. Maybe not the de-anonymization of all financial transactions, but I would be much more on the side of massive overhaul at the, you know. So recently in in India, they had something called, oh man, I can't remember the name, but basically overnight Modi, the the president decided that five, the the two most common banknotes in the country were not, were no longer in use and you had to trade them in within the next month or you'd lose all your money and so this would be like if in the u.s trump came out and said okay five dollar bills twenty dollar bills and a hundred dollar bills you can't use them anymore you got to turn them in so this was you know massive It, it shrunk dgp kind of overnight like people a lot of people weren't able to get their money there were lines like you know blocks long people waited for you know, days in lines. And so it was kind of a disaster because it was poorly planned. But in the aftermath, there seems to be decent evidence that it has worked in some ways It has cut down on certain types of crime. There have been less transactions that are difficult to track because a lot of this is online now. And so, you know, obviously taking the bad aspects of this policy away, the fact that it was just sprung on everyone overnight and it affected a lot of poor people in a way that was completely unnecessary and probably, you know, ended up killing lots of people. Um, the technology nowadays exists where we can do these things online in a safe way most of the time. And the kinks are still there to be worked out, but it is not impossible to imagine a future where online financing allows us to track, even in a more secretive way. Maybe it's it's not everyone that's, you know, your data is not public to everyone, but maybe it is public to the IRS or something like that, uh, where money is tracked and you know financial accounts can finally be at least known to the government and to the people who are involved in those transactions that we'll see Uh,
1: i mean in this country there is i believe um 80 percent of um 80% 80% approval among the public, it might be higher than that, 85% among the public for universal background checks if you want to purchase a firearm. And no movement in no no legislation in Congress as a result. Like there's insanely popular things here that never make it to the floor of the Senate. Um well this particular Senate, because well, there's a guy named Mitch McConnell who uh, apparently is the gr- grim reaper of uh, what do you say, like socialist legislation? And by socialist legislation, he means universal background checks on
0: firearms. Any Democratic, eighty-five, yeah,
1: eighty-five <laughs> percent approval rating among Americans. So that's uh, cool. So it's like something as as complicated and nuanced, and also just common sense. That you're talking about man like congress is so dysfunctional yeah. that i can't picture that happening for
0: <laughs>
1: i don't know <laughs> uh, a long long time it like we can't get anything done on campaign finance reform you know
0: yeah. yeah yeah i mean the depressing truth is like i think the conclusion we're coming to is it's just not it's obviously terrible and everyone hates it but it's not enough of a priority for us to invest as much time as it would
1: need. Yeah, I mean, w- we have a president that apparently used campaign funds to pay hush money to a porn star, right? Yeah.
0: Whoa. So have we cheered everybody up? <laughs> Happy <Yeah>. pandemic, everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do
0: you want to give them a, a run through of what we've got coming up on Rationalish?
1: Uh, sure, we're, g- we're gonna do an episode on academia. Cause uh you're still in the trenches of that. I recently left the trenches, but am now re-entering the trenches with you know from more of a staff and faculty point. Um, how long did they,
0: how long did they give you to change all your outfits to tweed? Did they give you a deadline for when 36 you had, hours? 36 uh, wow. You that's, should
1: see my closet right that's now. That's
0: a lot of tweed.
1: <laughs> yeah, so much tweed. Um so we're going to do one on that. We're going to do one on uh, Black Lives Matter, right? With your friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then Oregon. a gaming one with Corey, right? Gaming one with Corey.
1: Yeah. And uh, maybe another online dating episode.
0: Well, oh, he has some stories, ladies and gentlemen. I've heard some good maybe ones. I'll I ruin this, them today, so. yeah,
1: maybe I'll we'll aggregate some more before I go back on. I would love to have. <laughs> Our friend Eric Penningroth, on because he's similarly disenchanted with online dating right now, and I think he would be a hilarious guest um, to talk about his escapades and shenanigans. Um, so those are some things to look forward to in a time with not very many things to look forward to.
0: Very true. Well, we'll be back soon. If you have any other suggestions, we're happy to hear them. This is we finally both off for the summer a little bit. We still have work to do, but. This is the best time to reach us and to, to if you want to come on or if you just have a good idea, please reach out.
1: Where can they where can they email you at?
0: Oh, they know my digits. <laughs> they <laughs> okay. can reach me at mwack at uw.edu or our Twitter account I think is probably the easiest, because then we'll both see it. But yeah,
1: you can also- at rationalish pod.
0: Mm.
1: Oh boy, oh boy.
0: Solved another right. issue. <laughs> uh, Biden's wondering, think. we're both here still available for the VP B- nom. Uh, I know he, he made a pledge to make it a woman, but, you know, I feel like our listeners would <laughs> would at least uh, consider having us on on the short list.
1: Yeah, I've heard rumors that he's considering a California senator, and I sure hope he doesn't choose Feinstein.
0: <laughs> nice, dude. Good, good, good. <laughs> Good democratic uh, joke to close the, the pod. Um yeah, we, we're gonna have to do another one. I know people really like our our uh kind of domestic politics one. So we'll have we'll have one on the election coming up as well. Maybe when, when he chooses a, a VP we can do
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. That.
0: Yeah. So everyone, keep us updated. Sorry for the delay, but we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Until next time, Russian listeners.